This is Future Heist, conversations with people making change. My name is Rena Neve-Smith. This episode is co-hosted by Chloe Vasegi. I'm Sarah, and I'm Rosie, um, and we are Bollyfactor. Our first question was about how you two met. So we met at uni, both went to Kingston Uni, studying fashion design, and um, yeah, we lived together um, for, well we actually always lived together until last year, um, after first year of uni, Um, but we've also kind of grown up in similar areas of Scotland and lived kind of fairly similar lives, um, but then only end up meeting at uni, and then... Yeah, yeah. That's kind of stars aligned. <laughs> yeah. So you met you met at uni, but you 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 worked out later that you were actually from really close to each other. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So we had, I mean, Sarah came to visit me once at the farm that I grew up on um, in Scotland, and then um, kind of looked out of a window and saw a, a hill that she thought looked familiar. Who's in the Asked me where we were, and it turned up turned out that we'd um, kind of grown up on opposite sides of the hill but never knew about it <laughs> and only found out about this later in life when we were 22. We've both been the youngest of four yeah, and both grown up in farming farming backgrounds as well in Scotland. I mean you don't meet that many people in fashion that grew up on farms so <laughs> it, was, it was a rarity. <laughs> Do you think that brings something different? <laughs> um, yeah, it probably does. I feel like we're both quite grounded. We both like enjoy the outdoors and maybe not so caught up in like your typical fashion environment. And maybe it's given us a different outlook on on where where to take it, where yeah. to take the brand. I think it meant that our aesthetics, like although we, we both like we both have our own aesthetics, like it's been quite easy to find um, like common ground as we've been working together because of yeah. our influences and things that inspire us definitely do have mm. similarities um, that's obviously really helpful when, when working together um, and I think like the kind of the farming world and like the casual aspects and the way that everyone kind of goes about their day to day life and the clothes they wear is definitely mm. kind of like an influence for us and still definitely. you know like always has been and still is I guess also that workwear and practicality element of it and well especially like um my mum was an influence she's um you know they they would always like make their own clothes like they would wear everything till the death like always be like fixing it and you know getting the very most out of all their clothing and it's definitely her thriftiness it's definitely worn off on me she's very thrifty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your values are the same it's, it must be much easier I think in any business I can't imagine yeah. I mean I don't work I don't have my own business but even working next to people that have completely different values to me I find hard so mm-hmm. I think it yeah. sounds great that you both got that same value system yeah, the common ground yeah, yeah I don't think you really could if you yeah. had completely different kind of values because as you say it's so hard working with people when you mm-hmm. kind of fundamentally disagree with how they're going about something but sure. so it's been 
but yeah, it's been a helpful starting point yeah. for us. <laughs> so tell us about it then. Give us a summary for, for the listeners about what it is. What's your what is Bonnie Fector? I didn't actually know until you said it. But <laughs> <laughs> and how did you come up with the name? Well, so well, the name was tricky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we tried like, we're like, how? Do, what name should we put, like give it? Trying to like merge our own names. We're like Rosie, Sarah. No, that's not gonna work. <laughs> and then um, I came across this old like. Um, traditional Scottish board game that my gran gave me and they it's like a card game and they called the Jokers a Bonnie Factor. Right. And the meaning of it is like Scottish for like a good fighter. Oh, okay, okay. And yeah. we just like the sound of it and how it sounds like a it could be a pseudo name as well. Mm-hmm. Like neither of us really wanted to put our own names out there and make it about us. It, it was like something that's more more than just about us. Yeah. yeah, I think it's nice being able to kind of give the brand its own, yeah, like its own person in a way, its own identity, and it's kind of it's an extension of us, but it's not like about mm-hmm. us. Um, it's kind of for like a a, a world of people that can relate to it, um, rather than always trying to relate it back to us. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. That's really definitely. And a good fighter as well. That's a good. Yeah. yeah. G- going on, kind of like to the ethical sort of aspect of your. Mm-hmm. Brand that's amazing as well. It's mm-hmm. very, very yeah. fitting. It is fitting. So, so, what would you say the, the values are of, of like why did you want to launch this brand? I think like we were both working in the fashion industry after uni, and we we're both just a bit like we just found it. Um, I don't know. We we're it's very relentless. I think. Yeah. Like, and, and I think also like when you just graduate and you just spent like you know, like you have the luxury in your final year of um, like studying design at university of having a full year to like explore one thing, which actually is kind of unheard of and you don't really ever get that. So then you go straight into the like really relentless, like fast paced turnaround. And I think we both kind of decided like we just wanted to, I mean, initially we didn't even know we were going to start Body Fact, so we just wanted to do something that was for us and just kind of for fun and to kind of really get inspired again. Inspiration, yeah. yeah. We just felt a bit like jaded. So. <laughs> Why are we doing this? <laughs> and, and this was like our kind of like outlet of like inspiration and creation. Um, we were, yeah, and I guess it was a nod to the, this like slow fashion movement and something that had a bit more meaning rather than just. Um, trying to keep up with the trends and the seasons which were getting faster and faster and more and more each year and we realised that we just needed to slow things down and strip it all back um, so yeah slow fashion yeah I feel um, like we're saying about her mum you know like always like mending things and like wanting to keep them we kind of wanted to look about look at it as if you know like people collect paintings they don't like buy one and then just scrap it instantly they like collect it because they love it and then want to kind of build up their collection around their kind of aesthetic and their world and that becomes something they keep with them for life and if we were kind of looking at it in that way mm-hmm. where it's like why do people kind of regard clothes as so disposable when they don't the same they, they don't regard other items in the same way um, so then we decided that we wanted to do it by project rather than season so that it can be more kind of curated and more collectible because um, people want to buy into that kind of that world and actually like stay with you and kind of remain more loyal to the brand but also more loyal to kind of 
um, I guess like creations and mm. um, things like loyalty towards like value and how you should respect like possessions whereas I think in the modern world that's something mm. that people don't really do anymore it's kind yeah, of like a painter wouldn't just yeah. paint a painting and then put it get rid of yeah, it at the end of the season <laughs> like yeah. because he hadn't sold it yeah we were looking at for like the quality and craft behind it as well which is why we wanted to also create a platform for um, collaboration with other artists and designers from different fields that wasn't just fashion so it's kind of bringing another element into it whether they're like um, painters, um, illustrators, graphic designers, um, yeah, just something to give it another element, another yeah. level. Um, so how, how have you done that? Who have you worked with and what kind of things have you done in that aspect? So Yeah, our first project um, called True Grafters was we worked with um, some friends of ours who uh, have uh, Calm Collective, so it's Stone on Al and they have their own little collective and they already had like a platform they were already kind of doing a lot of interesting things and um, were really interested in doing something f with fashion so it seemed like a good good starting point for us as well and we work with them a lot on like the branding and like kind of starting up the actual you know the yeah starting up the actual yeah. label and um, yeah, we did a lot of like prim work with them for the first mm -hmm. one. They both are like, well, all of those, um, a few of them in it, and they kind of really interested in process and um, like how you get to the end point, which was kind of very relevant for us because we were like re looking at the processes of everything and kind of taking the time to make sure it's made properly. Um, so they kind of like put that influence into their prints and everything, you know, like hand drawn and then reworked, and they looked at maps of. Um, the area that we both grew up in and kind of use that to create like prints up contour lines and references to kind of locations and um, farming and everything and kind of just like looking at the roots but then turning that into like a surface textile and a surface print and embroideries and like lots of different processes that then went back into the garments so that was kind of like our first yeah. um, but it was really like great working with so many different people as well because even like working with them on, um, on the collection but also like with other small businesses um, screen printers and embroiderers around London so just kind of like doing that research going going out and meeting these people face to face and seeing the process behind it all was really like really exciting for us yeah really inspiring you kind of like realise there's so many people doing you know like small scale things and actually like the more you look into it there's so many people that you can work with and get involved with and yeah, it's just really fun to meet lots of interesting people yeah. along the way. So yeah. it's not just it's about the clothes, but about every every part of the whole process you've yeah. involved yeah. people in. Yeah, that's really definitely. nice. So even though it's just the two of us, we've worked with so many different people and, and different mm -hmm. areas and different different parts of it. Yeah, and that's that is what it's about. It's kind of like building up this like this project and this collection from like so many hands, so many different processes and. Yeah, it makes it. Yeah, it's it. Which also um, is actually very hard to do. I think even when mm. we first started, we were like, oh, you know, like, yeah, great. Why do people not make in the UK? Like, we used to have such a great craft industry, and we actually, you know, like, it's kind of dying as a country. And so, kind of 
just investigated that and then I think we initially we were like oh okay there is a reason why people don't do it because it is so expensive and it's actually you know it's hard to make it viable as a business yeah but we're really happy that we've kind of like we have continued along that and everything is made in the UK and we have made it workable and I think it's really important to kind of remind people that you can do things locally as well as having to go further afield um, and there's so many talented people like right on your doorstep that you actually just you can do it close to home. You just mm-hmm. takes a little bit more thought. Yeah. And how many like this could be a stupid question, but how many people like how many items of clothing is like do you get out of one project? Do you know? What I mean, do you so you don't make all the clothes yourself, right? No, we no. don't. Sadly. So you that's so sorry. This is <laughs> it's still very like small scale. We do really like small production runs of everything, especially when we're starting out. Um, so, like, in our first project, we had, was it about 10, 10 items, would you say? 10 to 12 items. Yeah. And, like, I think we would only really do ten, maximum, like, 10 of each of those items. Okay. Different sizes. So it was, like, really yeah. quite small scale. But in order to do that as well, because of the size that we are, we are, like, a micro, micro mm-hmm. company, micro label, um, it, that was the benefit of like doing it at home, doing it locally, because we, it's impossible to do that anywhere else on yeah. such a small scale. Mm-hmm. Like the minimum, like if even if like people who go to China or India, their minimums are like thousands. Yeah, and it's just not. It's actually probably. I mean, if we'd made a thousand, we would have been you know realistically we've been sat on you know 900 pieces of stock which is then obviously just contributing to the whole issue that we're trying to avoid (laughs) um but i think it depends as well for us like on project like because we're not really like trying to be like a you know like runway brand that shows every season and needs to create like a full range of newness it's kind of more what we what you know like from working with the people we've built up relationship with and like our customers and like anyone that follows the brand and kind of like relying on feedback from them and what they like the most what they you know want to see more of or less of and so it's kind of very organic and then I guess Mm -hmm. that also changes who you know like who we're working with um like we did a really fun little collaboration with an artist called Ryan Connolly um, who does kind of like really amazing collages and then with him we worked on like a, a series of prints and like a beach towel so you know it's kind of like having that flexibility mm-hmm. within being like a small brand and being able to work on like really fun projects that aren't just you know strictly like fashion related because um, I think that's something that like, we both always kind of wanted to do is not be so restricted by the rules of fashion and the rules yeah. of seasons and what you should be releasing versus what you want to do and what people kind of are responding to. So how, how else do you think that we can challenge that, you know, so that's you're coming in as a brand to try and challenge the current model of fashion, which is seasonal and mass, you know, everything on mass. And how else do you think we might be able to do that? What do we have to do? What do people have to do? Apart from, of course, buying your clothes. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're working like off-season because we don't want to keep churning out more and more, like, e- excess amounts. Yeah. And we'd rather have less that's of a higher quality. And I think that's a really good like, habit, like, buying habit to get into. It's just buy less and, and really consider what you're buying and, like 
don't just go out and uh, to the high street and buy 50 t-shirts because they're only a pound each so mm. um you know really buy into something that you believe in that um and that's quality that's going to last you that you can keep forever mm. yeah. yeah i think it's just that also encouraging like the growth of knowledge and people and kind of understanding that the like what how much things actually cost and like people's perception of value what things really cost if you break it down in terms of the processes that are involved how many people have worked on each thing you know where it's come from shipment or there's so many processes that are involved in kind of one garment that I think it's just the education of the industry as a whole mm-hmm. the more people know about it the more they'll understand what they're paying for and then they'll probably be okay with paying like a couple pounds more you know like even if it's just a small amount to start but it's just yeah. everything starts somewhere because it does make a difference so it's about empowering the consumer it's about Definitely. saying that like as consumers we can we have power and we can like change mm-hmm. systems by through what we're what our tastes are and what our ideas are definitely because I, like without the consumer like a big high street company is nothing mm-hmm. so if you exactly. if you don't buy into something you don't believe in then they they have to change their way and it forces them to then consider okay there's this movement of uh, more conscious fashion or sustainability so we will make that change for our for our client mm. I think it's like a sense of like responsibility from both mm-hmm. sides like the customer has a responsibility but then also so does the um, you know the seller or the company because both sides have to change in order to yeah like Sarah says you know like mm-hmm. if they if we as consumers take responsibility then they also have to take responsibility Got to work together. And I think government as well. I think because mm. I'm political. I think I do think that government have to take some responsibility yeah. to yeah. to force because because as conglomerates don't take responsibility mm. unless they're forced to. So we have mm. to, you know. And I think people. I think for example, H and M that people might do this. Big organisations might take responsibility, but it will be for another purpose. You know, mm. if, yeah. to have an appearance of being ethical, mm. um, this is me being really cynical, but what I would like as a, as a consumer as well to see kind of from other organisations is to see the process as well, is always to see who is the distribution of, of, of money essentially. So if I'm going to pay £100 for a shirt because, you know, I'm gonna, I've am going decided to change, I'm not going to go to H&M anymore. I want to know that that £100 is actually being distributed fairly to the people that have been involved in it. So it's kind of quite complex to, or quite hard to, to know that, you know. I think obviously really small guys like you, you, you kind of know you have confidence in it. But I think there's kind of this medium level organisation that you don't, you think, am I just paying more just because they're pocketing more? Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's kind of quite hard to get around that. Yeah, yeah I think that's actually very true because it's all... It's obviously, I mean, we live in a blame culture anyway, but it's very easy to be mm-hmm. like, you know, point the finger and be like, mm-hmm. oh, they're terrible, they're doing this. But actually, yeah, I think it's all again, it's like kind of full disclosure, like, where is, yeah. like you say, where is the money going? Because mid level brands, like, you never know, they might they might also just be charging more because they want more money. I mean, we could be doing the same thing. We're not, but we can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think you're right. It's just like disclosure. Yeah, I think yeah. it's interesting in terms of businesses as well. You know, like, there's obviously been a big movement towards massive companies having to give disclosure on you know pay brackets sure. and 
you know, the um, gender rights and are men being paid more than women. And the only reason they've done that is because it's obviously been made. Um, um, I forgot the word. <laughs> it's been made compulsory <laughs> yeah. uh, to do it, so you have to disclose it. So it's actually if you had to release your ethical standards and you had to release your plans for sustainability within the next five years. I know a lot of people have kind of been involved with 2020, ASOS are doing it and other people. Then companies have to take responsibility because if they don't, then they're being openly called out for not being yeah. um, environmentally minded or sustainably minded and where they want to go. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a movement as well of this um, just being... Um, word um, transparent yes um, where there's a lot of brands that are um, showing you where their spending is going so they're like this is the cost of the labor this is the cost of the fabric and shipping and whatever mm-hmm. and it's that transparency which um, I guess that's what you're talking about you want to know yeah. where your money's mm-hmm. going why does it cost this much and I think it's quite a good way to that it's moving in because it does increase this um yeah just um distrust between yeah. uh the consumer and and the the label or the brand because mm. it's one thing to like to know to know i think it's been good for me to know a bit about the process to think god yeah if a t-shirt costs five pounds mm-hmm. and like the people it's been you know the process is so mm-hmm. huge design um you know mm-hmm. shipment mm-hmm. all of the fabric yeah. production yeah. Yeah. And, and we know that people at this end mm-hmm. are getting aren't getting paid mm-hmm. really really super low wages you know mm-hmm. for example in design it, it may be that's taking place not in mm-hmm. developing countries but there are people that are getting next to nothing and the, the, the final price is still only five pounds so it's yeah. kind of mm-hmm. insane to think yeah. about it so i think it's one thing to understand the process and mm-hmm. to think wow i can't buy something that's five pounds someone has that something's gone really wrong here yeah. but then yeah. the next step as you say is then to think but i want to know you know mm-hmm. the next step that when i do spend something where's it going to go is everybody getting an okay deal <laughs> no absolutely and i think the number of people i speak to you know, you don't work in fashion or whatever, and they say, oh, I don't know anything about fashion. And I think fashion gets away with a lot because it sort of operates on this. People think that it operates in, like, another world. Mm-hmm. But actually, we all wear clothes. Like, clothes yeah. is a, a really essential part of being alive. And, um, but there's this kind of, like, there's, like, a lot that you just don't see and people, I don't think, understand. I mean, people have an idea about sweatshops, for example, but... Um, it's sort of thinking about the the impact of that on the whole process like Mm -hmm. for example because bigger companies are are going over to big huge um, factories and commanding huge orders and if they don't they can they can command the price because if that factory doesn't can't fulfill it then can always go to another one yeah and so yeah and you find um, you find really quite awful situations like in Nepal um, a whole load of people went like a whole load of garment workers went on strike a few years ago and it was the government who cracked down on, and literally were killing people in order to crack down on these protests because for them they needed the business yeah, that's, that's you know what I mean yeah. so it's like it's it's really frightening and, yeah. and then at the other end they said we're not even using it all as well it's mm-hmm. like all of that is going on for a, they chuck half of it out and then I buy it and then I chuck it out as well. So it's kind of, 
Yeah, there's I a think big, part big, of it is just yeah. riddled with yeah. <laughs> tragedy. It's, it's a really it's such a massive machine as well as an industry. Like it's huge. It employs so many people. You know, it's it's crazy, and you kind of forget that when you work next. We don't. You're more aware of it, but then also sometimes it just gets wrapped up in it, and then you stop to think, and you're like, oh, this is insane. Um, because I think interesting you say about the government in Nepal is also like in a lot of countries, although they're working for no money, because we've kind of pushed the cost and the businesses have pushed the cost down so low, it's got to a point that because they rely on that money so much, if you shut the factory down, it's actually more detrimental to the people that work there because then they make no money. Mm -hmm. So then you're actually kind of creating unemployment within a country that really needs jobs. So what started as a positive impact actually becomes a negative impact. So it's finding a way to actually make sure that everything you're doing is positive for the people involved, which mm -hmm. is really difficult when it's you're, you know, you're trying to fight for better pay and better working conditions. But they're like, please don't shut us down because we need this money. So it's like, where do you actually find a balance of being able to do it in a beneficial and ethical way? Yeah, I think that we have conflict. Yeah. yeah, because we like by we I mean the West, i.e. the mm -hmm. big organisations, because essentially we get to decide what, what is good for them, really, because, do you know, I mean, although you'll say, I do agree, we have to have a positive impact on the people in that country, mm. but we decide what is positive for them, mm -hmm. because we say, Absolutely. well, actually, if, if your baseline is zero, anything's positive, really. Yeah, so, so, that's and we get the power to say that. We mm -hmm. go, well, we, yeah, we decide what's positive for you, mm -hmm. you know, one pound an, a, a year or a yeah. month is positive for you, because your baseline is zero, so it's really hard Absolutely, if, yeah. If you look at the kind of the free market argument for sweatshops, they say, well, they've got jobs, you know, this yeah, is exactly. good for them. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, and it's really, it kind of reminds you of like imperialism, like yeah. it's these, yeah. you know, rich countries like walking into like a poverty stricken country and just like saying, well, this is what I'm going to like hand down mm -hmm. to you from on high. And it's really problematic, really problematic. Yeah, I have horrible. a correction, sorry, it was not Nepal, it was Cambodia, okay. where they had the protests. <laughs> It's a bit like, well, it's like when they brought the minimum wage in, to everybody, to this country, everybody said, you know, no, like, people who have got no skills, they have to have some job, there'll be so, so many unemployed people, um, and, and then it never happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that, that fear, that kind That's of, true. It's the fear that people incite, yeah, mm -hmm. to say, you know, well, there's just going to be people really unemployed. It's like, well, actually, you do still need someone to make your clothes, otherwise you're going to be unemployed as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It has to happen somewhere, so, but if there are other people willing to do it, there should be some sort of, it needs to come from us, because the, unless we get all of the kind of developing countries to group together, which could, which could be good. To say, you know, we're putting a minimum wage on all of our countries. Um, it needs to come from our level. It needs, mm. it needs to come from our government to say we have a, a requirement to yeah. humanity to, to yeah. not treat yeah. people like this. Mm -hmm. It's very true. I think also where they start, I guess it's semi-progressive in the food industry, you know, sugar taxes and everything, where they've started to see kind of the detrimental effects on health. Um, you know they're prepared to put a sugar tax on something so that people have to pay more money for it. If you're prepared to do it within one industry, then you should be able to do it within another. 
Um, it's obviously kind of, I guess, harder in a way to be, find something as tangible as a direct link, you know, like sugar to health to mm-hmm. impact. Um, but there is, there must be a way that we can do a similar thing and start to implement change and make people the understand it. The plastic bag charge. Yes, exactly. You know, exactly. Well, it's also such a great, so good. It worked out so well. Five p plastic bag charge, and it um, dropped the the usage like. 90 percent, yeah, huge amount, yeah. For such a small, small change, such a small implement, so it really does make a difference if they, like, if the government were to imply even just a very small charge, mm-hmm. in order to to encourage people to change their habits. Mm. It's slightly different, isn't it, with kind of because, and I feel like it, it does on some level come back to government because, you know things like labour laws, like, I don't know, it's hard to think when you think of the whole system if it would be someone like the United Nations, if they had more power to say yeah. no. Countries like Bangladesh, which are like massively exploited because they have these, you know, they don't have labour laws that even other countries have, you know, it's one of the worst and that's why it's so exploited. Um, but yeah, if it, you know what I mean? If yeah, 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 if, if, we, if we had... In our, so in mm-hmm. for example the EU or the UK said we're not go, you, you know we have to agree when we agree a contract we're not allowed to you know mm-hmm. pay mm-hmm. people less than a certain amount mm-hmm. per hour or something mm-hmm. or the, the, the people if they want a contract they have to agree to paying people a certain amount mm-hmm. per hour or something mm-hmm. and then of course exactly. if it was illegal to yeah because like what do you guys think about this because there's like in the fashion industry as well there's a lot of like um because you're talking about you know going and meeting the people who make your clothes and, and, and meeting the people that you work with whereas in fast fashion there's like a really disjointed line of responsibility mm. between the the people who are designing the clothes and, and dictating what the you know who are responsible for them and then yeah, the definitely. people who actually because it's all third parties H&M yeah. don't own any factories they go to a factory and mm. order yeah I think it's was hard, when you know the people you're working with, it's hard to shift their responsibility. I feel like it becomes more of a team environment, mm-hmm. and you're kind of working on it together to kind of create the best product. Whereas if it's third party and you're just handing it off, it's very easy to um, keep going with the blame culture. And you know, if anything goes wrong or um, something turns out to be wrong with the fabric or the make, you can easily blame the person that's making it for you. Whereas if it's uh, people you know and people you kind of go see every week it's, you're not going to end up doing that you build relationships with mm-hmm. people and you have a trust that is more important than mm-hmm. the almost more important than the product you're making in the first place because you're relying on you know it's like basic human values of being kind to one another and being nice and and that's actually really important yeah, as well. you're kind of bringing feelings back in aren't you? Yeah, like, yeah, it, it yeah. stops being so cold and emotionless and actually it's yeah. you know, you're putting love into what you're doing so therefore you yeah, maybe it's rebuilding that relationship with like the people that you are that are making the clothes yeah. like going straight to the source and yeah. um, or the farmers growing the cotton like just having that awareness and that understanding and re yeah Rebuilding that relationship, yeah, which isn't so easy to do when you're in, when you're just a small part of a huge company. But Absolutely. there must be, there must be a way to help that. Yeah, I also feel like it's awareness about like people's plight as well. I mean, I think that you know capitalism gets it away with a lot through um, like globalization and kind of and almost like 
without throwing this word around too easily, almost racism. Like, as in, if something, if it's happening to people far away, you know, as a consumer, you sort of like, you know, you're encouraged to care less about Mm -hmm. a farmer in Bangladesh or wherever. Do you know what I mean? And it's about like, I feel like through awareness and you can go, hang on, these people's lives are like, mm-hmm. you know, blighted yeah. by my choice about where I'm going to get my next t-shirt. Um, and it's about like, it's encouraging that compassion for other people. Like, I definitely think levels. it needs to come from both sides, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From the consumer and from, I think no one person can take responsibility. Well, I mean, I secretly do think that the conglomerates should take 100% of the responsibility, <laughs> but no one can change it, you know. Because yeah. one thing that I think that is quite, that I find challenging in is this kind of like culture of blaming each other or kind of this um, what's the word you know righteous kind of righteousness yeah. um, about you know what food you're eating or what you know oh you're using somebody said to me like, you're drinking out of a plastic straw the other day I, I bought the drink and they gave me the straw <laughs> and I completely agree we need to eradicate plastic straws from mm-hmm. the planet but like for fuck's sake when somebody like says to you as if you're the worst human ever because yeah. you've got a drink with a pen you're like Fuck. there's this culture of it's negative mm-hmm. it's not a positive mm-hmm. it's, it's not. turned into a bit of this mm-hmm. yeah if you're yeah. not a righteous wholesome individual you know mm-hmm. that does all of these wonderful things mm-hmm. then I just think that's never for me ever been a way to change. I can't yeah, like, if somebody yeah. is making me out to be an immoral, horrible person, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna change, you know. I'm not gonna go, oh my god, yeah, I just wanna stab that person who said it to me. <laughs> so it's like I think we need to change yeah. on that side as well about how yeah. we support each other to do yeah. these things. I yeah. think there's definitely a point. an issue with like anyone who's like um our friend who's also a designer, uh, Bethany Williams, and she does um, she does a lot of sustainable fashion the whole thing is based on that we went to a talk of hers recently and it was great but I feel like as soon as someone knows that you're trying to be sustainable or doing something good there's there's an, like in the Q&A time we were quite surprised like how many people were like finding some sort of attack like oh but you've you're not you fly in an airplane yeah. or this or that and it's like it's just character assassination like no one is perfect but if you're do if you're one step to mm-hmm. improving like in improving your product or improving someone's life life out there then surely that's a positive thing like yeah let's keep it positive let's <laughs> focus on the positives rather than what people aren't doing mm-hmm. yeah i think in yeah. a way because sustainability is almost like a dangerous word because people it's in this day and age and and because of everything we do do and and travel and transport it is almost impossible to be sustainable 100 percent as a brand like it is so difficult yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of people are actually scared to even say that they're trying to be sustainable because it's so easy to get called out in many mm. different ways yeah. you know you're always going to fall short of something there's always going to be something mm-hmm. that you've done wrong which is like you said it's just so negative because it's like actually you may not be fully sustainable but at least you're trying to do something that is positive and isn't going to encourage change or knowledge or education or something rather than just sitting back and doing nothing so yeah. it is really like it's quite yeah it's amazing how, how quick people are to be like yeah. oh well you're not really doing it are you like you're trying but you're still I mean I've got a straw yeah. right next to you. <laughs> yeah. um, exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah. there's yeah. This, oh but how sustainable are you yeah, yeah. it's like, come on. It's, it's, it's the same as like when Lily Allen went to like the Calais refugee camps and was criticised because she is a yeah, you know, celebrity like yeah but nobody's criticising the people who didn't go into mm. that thing you know you find it so much it's really yeah. Yeah. It's easy to criticise yeah. what you can see rather than what you can't. Mm. Everyone's yeah. a scapegoat, really, at some point. Mm. Okay, so the last um, questions. Uh, first of all, how can people support you and what you do? So we have a website and an online shop. It's bonifector.com and we also have our Instagram um, at Bonnie underscore Fector. We might need to spell Fector. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone it's F-E-C-H-T-E-R because lots of people get confused. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> just so you know. Um, I mean, I guess email us, you know, yeah. we're always like up for studio visits. Yeah. If anyone wants to come try things on, we do made to order. Um, and we you know we just love meeting people really so yeah. if anyone wants to come and hang out you're more than welcome <laughs> that's amazing definitely can come um thinking about the kind of issues that we we're discussing today have you got any recommendations of what people can read or watch um there's a great book we both read um by Yvonne Schumer oh I don't know if I'm saying that right but he is the founder of Patagonia and uh he wrote a book called let my people go surfing and it's amazing it's it all about like really great book. how to run a business in a sustainable way and thinking of planet people um, yeah. and not just not just the profit I think it's great because it's also it's sustainably realistic you know he's mm. not he's kind of not making great claims that he's gonna change the entire industry but it's just the things that he's put in place are quite amazing and very realistic you know like he was one of the first businesses to um encourage maternity pay and childcare within an office and paper you know no disposable cups and you know like really small things were like the fundamentals of his business and when we both read it we were so like inspired that such a massive business has been able to maintain its values um, and he's just, I mean, to be honest, I think he might be my dream man. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't 75. <laughs> um, but there's so many, I mean, it's one of the, I feel like now you've asked that question, my brain's gone entirely blank. But um, there's so many great, like, documentaries and podcasts. There's um, a documentary called Blue River, uh, which is really amazing um, if you're interested in denim. Um, and the impact of washing. Um, I mean, we work a lot with denim. We don't actually wash, um, which is helpful in terms of the environmental impact, but um, it's really interesting to kind of see the effects of that and water consumption. Um, There's another great documentary called, um, actually, I might need to fact check this because I can't fully remember, but it's um, the price of clothing or like the price of fashion and it basically talks about like the real price that you pay for uh, like a cheap uh, t-shirt and who's actually paying for that down the line mm-hmm. is it true cost it might be that, is one. that it? true cost or it's a doc- it's on netflix at the minute that's probably the one yeah <laughs> go watch it yeah, I feel like we need to <laughs> come back to you with some more. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Any other stuff you have, we one social media uh-huh. and stuff. Um, cool. And then the last question was, what can people do? 
as a, as a what consumer. can people do to affect the kind of changes that we were um, talking about today? Um, I mean, I think just encourage like awareness. You know, be engaged. Sort of top clothes. Yeah, being violent. Back to us. clothes and choose yes. it wisely. Like consider what you're buying and where it's coming from. And um, yeah, just general awareness. I think. Yeah. And, and knowing that the power is in your pocket. <laughs> the companies rely on on the people. So yeah, it's up and to I you think to like buy something you love. Don't buy something yeah. that you think you should buy. You know, like don't don't follow. Don't follow the trends that are given to you, follow what you want to buy and what you love. And I think even if something as simple as that will encourage people just to kind of, they'll probably spend more money on something that will last for longer, but they'll buy once and love it. And it'll kind of actually probably be more true to their identity rather than being an identity that's given to you by, mm -hmm. you know, like massive companies and trends. Yeah. We think what you're doing is great and very, very brave as a business to come in and challenge that massive, mm -hmm. massive huge system. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's really great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Future Heist is recorded and produced by me, Rena Neve Smith with original music by Benjamin Tassi and artwork by Fleur Beck. Special thanks to Chloe Vesegi and Joshua Lose Challens. You can follow us on Instagram at future underscore heist.